0: Thank you for listening to the Words for Life podcast, which highlights the preaching and teaching ministry of Liberty Heights Church. Today we are launching the first message in a new series leading up to Easter called Journey to the Cross, which highlights Jesus' interactions with his followers, his enemies, as well as total strangers that he encountered in the final week before his crucifixion. Join Pastor Brad Cunningham as he teaches from Luke chapter 18 in a message titled, I was blind, but now I see. Well, in light of that, I do want to share something with you that's a little difficult to share. Uh, That's a good reminder, but I've had some other reminders. I'll be turning 48 in a couple of weeks, and uh, I'm getting older. That's the bad news to share, and it's happening really fast. And it feels like every time I turn around, I'm being reminded that I'm getting older. Uh, For example, uh, I have two children who are now engaged to be married. How old are you when your kids are getting married? A couple months ago, I ran into someone I'd not seen in over a year and I uh, said, hey, you know, we ran into each other unexpectedly and the first thing the guy says is, man, I haven't seen you in a while. I was like, your hair has gotten so gray. That's <laughs> the first thing. And so I said, hey, I, I'm grieved that you and I will not be in heaven together. It breaks my heart right there. We hired Whitney on staff a couple months ago and I came to the realization, like we're now hiring, 14 years later, we're now hiring people that I'm old enough to be their dad on staff now. Happened the other day when I was driving I uh, was listening to the radio and a song came on. I had not heard this song in years. And so I was like, oh, I love that song. I haven't heard that song in years. And, and when I go over to turn the dial up, uh, I made a horrible discovery. That song was playing on 103.5, the oldie station is what I discovered. I just felt like pulling, finding, you know, pulling off the exit, finding an MCL cafeteria and ordering Jello with fruit in it at four o'clock for dinner. You know what I'm talking about? I just thought, good night. And then it happens all the time in church when we sing a song uh, or we haven't sung a song in a while. And I think, man, we, we haven't sung that song in a while. And then I look up and realize whatever that song is, it's older than I thought it was. For example, some of these songs, uh, Shout to the Lord, nineteen ninety sevens is when that came out. I can only imagine, 1999. Better is One Day in Your Courts, 1995, Uh, Heart of Worship, 1999, and the greatest Christian song of all time, not even up for debate, Friends Are Friends Forever, amen? 1983, right? Like some of you are rocking in your room to that and Carmen, you know what I'm talking about, right? If you're too young to know Carmen is, Google it, it'll change your life. But one of my favorites, it's an old song, uh, it's from 2001, but as young people say, it's still a banger, is this song, uh, Open the Eyes of My Heart. Remember that song? Open the Eyes of My Heart. I love that song. And that song is actually based on Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, uh, which says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And in Luke chapter 18, we're going to encounter a person this morning who literally understands both literally and spiritually what it was like to have the eyes of their heart opened up to the truth of Jesus Christ. So let me invite you to take your Bibles, your devices, and turn to Luke 18 as we kick off a new series heading into Easter called Journey to the Cross. And so for the next nine weeks, we're going to be tracking with Jesus as he makes his way towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Most would argue in, uh, about when Jesus' journey towards the cross began uh, would land on Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Here's what Luke 9, 51 says. It says, When the days grew near for him to be taken up, he set his face toward Jerusalem. And for each message of this series, we're going to highlight the day of the week and the location where Jesus was at on this journey to Jerusalem that he set his face toward there in Luke 9. And, and in this first encounter we're going to discover a guy named Bartimaeus. So let me kind of help set the scene with the help of a little map that we've put together up here and so uh, this map so in Luke 9:51 when it says Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem uh, he's doing ministry up there by the Sea of Galilee. And so as he journeys southward down towards uh, Jericho there's a lot that happens between uh, his ministry there on Luke 9 and what we're going to encounter here in Luke uh, chapter 18. And so, uh, for example, uh, in between there, uh, he gets rejected in a Samaritan village. Uh, He sends followers to go on before him. He stops in this journey and visits with Mary and Martha. He teaches the disciples on how to pray using the Lord's Prayer as a template. He casts out a demon. He heals a disabled woman uh, as well as a man on the Sabbath, which got him in all kinds of trouble. So he followed that up by healing some uh, lepers, 10 of them. And along this journey to Jerusalem, uh, Jesus is telling stories and teaching using parables, some of the most powerful and familiar parables in Scripture. He's sharing with them as they're making their way down to Jerusalem. And having uh, come down from Galilee, they detoured in Norway through Perea, which is east of the Jordan River, because they wanted to avoid traveling through Samaria, according to John chapter 4, verse 9. And then they recrossed the Jordan near Jericho, for which they would make their six-hour ascent to Jerusalem. Now, here's a little detail. Jerusalem is about 15 miles southwest of Jericho. But when you read the text, and some skeptics have tried to jump on this, uh, it says this, even though they're traveling south, uh, it says that they're traveling up to Jerusalem. And the reason that's not a contradiction in the Bible, that's a statement of elevation, Jericho is about 700 feet below sea level and Jerusalem was about 3,300 feet higher in elevation than Jericho. Some have also argued that because Jerusalem was the center that it was a higher plane spiritually but we also know it's a higher plane literally elevation wise. So no matter if they're going south he says hey we're still traveling up to Jerusalem. And so well, we're picking up the story for this series is this Leg there around Jericho, where Jesus is around Jericho, and he's beginning to make the turn uh, to head towards Jerusalem. And in that part of the journey, he encounters a guy that we now know as blind Bartimaeus. And so look with me at Luke chapter 18, verse 35 through 43. As he drew near Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in the front rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him, and when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, Recover your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Now, if you're astute, when we read through that text, you say, hey, nowhere in this encounter uh, does Jesus call him by name, or do we see the name uh, Bartimaeus? But when we read parallel accounts in the other Gospels of this same encounter, we learn there were actually uh, two men who were begging by the side of the road, and the Gospel of Mark identifies this man by his name, uh, Bartimaeus. And so just from a timeline perspective, uh, this is right before the triumphal entry. Uh, so, the triumphal entry is on Palm Sunday. So, that Saturday before uh, is where he has this encounter, probably an all day long encounter uh, with Zacchaeus and on the Sabbath. So, we'll look at that next week. And so, uh, there's a little disagreement. Some people say this was probably late Friday. Some people say it's early Friday. Some people even say Thursday evening when he encounters Bartimaeus here. Uh, but it's right before, a couple days before Palm Sunday. But the timestamp on this event is not the most important thing we're going to glean. From this encounter with Bartimaeus. So this morning I want you to see uh, in this encounter what, what takes place and what Jesus models for us in this encounter as he makes his way towards the cross. The first encouragement uh, for us this morning is this, it's to be sensitive to divine opportunities. Jesus is drawing near the city of Jericho. He, he's surrounded by a crowd of people. The text doesn't tell us how many people were in the crowd, but here's what uh, we know from history. Most likely, there's a huge crowd of people along this journey. One, Jesus just drew a crowd because of who he was and what he did, but also uh, people were traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover feasts. And so this is a huge throng of People. And so what we notice right off the bat is in spite of being this huge crowd of people, can you imagine the noise of all those people traveling together? Can you imagine all the people trying to get Jesus' attention, trying to get you know, to a little conversation with him? And so what I want you to notice is despite all that distraction, despite being uh, literally on a mission from God, A preordained mission from God. Jesus, amongst this activity, amongst this huge crowd, on a preordained, prophecy-fulfilling mission, notices Bartimaeus and takes such interest in him that here's a little side trivia. Bartimaeus, of all the people Jesus healed in the Bible, Bartimaeus is only one of two people where we're actually given their name. That's how important he was to Jesus. You say, who's the other one? Just for trivia's sake, Malchus. See, what I need about him? Peter chopped off his ear. Amen, how great was that? And so Jesus, Jesus notices Bartimaeus because there's such a small window of time and a small amount of verses given. We, we don't know a ton about old Bart here, do we? But here's what we do know. That even though he was blind and that caused some disadvantages in his life, uh, he was not dumb. He knew that Jesus was referred to as the son of David he called him that two times. He knew that he had a small window of opportunity as Jesus passed by to cry out to him for mercy and healing. He knew that Jesus had healed people and he was able to do it again. He knew that Jesus in the past had offered mercy to those who were desperate enough to cry out for him. And listen, this morning, I don't know everything about everybody in the room this morning. And somebody's thinking, hey, praise God because I got some secrets, amen? And you don't know everything about me. But here's what I know about both of us this morning, that in this gospel illustration, make no mistake, you and I are Bartimaeus. You and I understand, just like Bartimaeus, that at one time before coming to Jesus Christ, uh, we had some kind of knowledge of who Jesus was. Had some kind of knowledge of the things he had done, or, or some of the things he had claimed about himself. So, so like Bartimaeus, we're not uh, ignorant, but also like Bartimaeus, before an encounter with Jesus, you and I were in a spiritually blinded state. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter four, verse four. In their case, meaning unbelievers, for we know Christ, the God of this world—that's a reference to Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God so we can identify what it's like to be blind before an encounter with Jesus. And just like blind Bartimaeus, we have a small window of opportunity that when Jesus passes by and is drawing near to us, we can respond in faith or we can reject him and let him go pass by. I believe with all of my heart this morning that hell will be filled with people who meant to get saved one day but just never got around to it. I'll start following Jesus when I can get this one struggle uh, out of my life. I'll start following Jesus uh, when I get some things cleaned up that I'm not proud of. I'll start following Jesus when my kids will or my husband will or my parents will. And one day I'm gonna follow Jesus and then guess what? One day is No more. That's what the Bible says in Proverbs 27.1, don't boast about tomorrow because you do not know what a day will bring forth. That's what the Bible says, that today is the day of salvation. So we all understand that when Jesus draws near, we can respond in faith like Bartimaeus and cry out for mercy or we can allow him to pass by. But make no mistake in this story, you and I are Bartimaeus helpless and hopeless apart from a divine encounter with Jesus Christ and also like Bartimaeus when we cry out in faith to Jesus we appeal to him on the basis of mercy not merit one author wrote this he said Bartimaeus didn't stand before Jesus after straightening up his appearance and say I've lived a pretty good life I've always gone to the synagogue i've never heard anybody i've tried to do the best that i can based on all that done you should open my eyes no bartimaeus knew he was a blind beggar with no claim for healing he had nothing in himself to commend himself to jesus like the publican in jesus's parable he just cried out for mercy that is us this week in our sermon meeting where we get together and working through the passage, our pastors together, I noticed for the first time, and I've read this story lots of times, I noticed for the first time something I previously had not seen in this account. I want you to see it. Look at verse 38. In verse 38, it says, And he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now we've taught this before, but mercy and grace are not the same thing. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. Mercy is God withholding what we do deserve. And so here's a guy who needs something from Jesus that he does not deserve to be healed. And so what would have been theologically correct is for him to cry out to Jesus for grace. Jesus, I want you to give me something that I don't deserve, a healing, but I'm just crying out for mercy, right? But why does he cry out for mercy? Because here's why. The fact that he's crying out for mercy means that he believes that what he deserves is punishment. When he says, Jesus, have mercy on me, what he's saying is, Jesus, withhold from me what I justly deserve, give me mercy instead. Now, why is that? Because in their culture, when someone had a physical ailment, they incorrectly believed that it was some type of punishment for either their sins or the sins of their parents. Listen to John chapter 9. Jesus walking along, he saw a man who'd been blind from birth, different guy. Rabbi, his disciple said, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents and Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Bartimaeus could not be a clearer illustration of the gospel where Jesus is the hero and we are hopeless and helpless and the only thing that we can do is what Bartimaeus did is to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me and in faith cry out for salvation. Now I don't want to be overly dramatic this morning because let's be honest, preachers can be that way, amen? Right? But I do want to be honest. I don't think there's a person in this room this morning who's not here by divine appointment that God hasn't sovereignly orchestrated the details of your day and week for you to be here and to hear this message and to understand that in this passage, you and I are Bartimaeus desperately in need of Jesus and also to recognize that in this moment, in this service, if Jesus is drawing you near to himself, you have a divine appointment this morning. And if you're not careful, you allow it to pass by. we don't know everything about Bartimaeus, but there had to be some temptation. Deceiving us into thinking there'll be another opportunity deceiving you into thinking you're not as bad off spiritually as it sounds, deceiving you into thinking that Jesus would not extend mercy to someone like you, deceiving you into playing on your pride and and getting you to believe that somehow it's a sign of weakness to cry out, like makes you feel helpless and hopeless, deceiving you into thinking that Jesus would not make time for you. He's got far bigger important things to do, but here's the reality. We are Bartimaeus and praise God, Jesus by his grace still stops and responds to people who cry out for mercy we are Bartimaeus this is a divine opportunity this morning as Jesus passes by this morning the second encouragement we have this passage is this is we should let compassion drive you let compassion drive you In in our culture being driven is a badge of honor being driven is a badge of honor, working too much. Make no mistake, listen, the Bible has no kind words for a lazy person. Uh, look at the book of Proverbs. It has a lot of strong correction uh, for a lazy person, but there's a fine line between being driven and overworking and letting ungodly ambition uh, neglect our family, deplete us spiritually, and allows greed to get a grip. Listen to this verse in Proverbs, set against a culture of being driven, overworking, and celebrated. Listen to the wisdom of Scripture. Only a fool too dumb to wear himself out or could not find his way back home would wear himself out with work. Several years ago I was reading a book and the author was speaking about the difference between living a driven life and living a called life. And he said both are characterized by hard work because both have stewardship responsibilities to manage uh, all the responsibilities and gifts and health that God has given you. He said but the called life was doing so at a pace where there was opportunity to notice and redirect when God opened up a door of ministry. And so what is the inner man quality that would allow me to redirect my life, to, to engage someone who's broken and needy, uh, to interrupt my outer man's schedule? It is a heart filled with compassion. In writing Opportunity for Ministry, my favorite author, Paul Tripp, makes the following observation. He calls it the ministry gap. Here's what he says. He said in life, in Christian life, there's this gap in ministry where unfortunately we reduce ministry down to a scheduled set of appointments and assignments. I'm, I'm doing ministry this week and I'm working as a greeter. I'm in the band. I'm working in the nursery. I'm doing whatever the case is. That he says, so ministry now becomes formalized and structured and scheduled. And he said, where well, the gap is this, is that when we're called to follow Jesus, ministry is not something that is scheduled. Ministry is life. That I'm waking up every day and saying, hey, there's, there's, I'm going to encounter some Bartimaeuses around me. And they're going to have needs. They're going to be helpless. And, and I've got an opportunity to allow my schedule and agenda to be redirected so that I can be the hands and feet of Jesus. Or I can just say, hey, I'm just simply too busy. Last week I told you I wish I could force everyone to take that class, how people change. You can sign up today if you haven't done that. But if I could pray one prayer and guarantee that God would grant in the lives of every single person in our church, here's the prayer I would pray that you and I would take serious the call to slow down and build margin into our overscheduled lives. The late Dallas Willard, who wrote on spiritual formation, one of his books said this about hurry. He said, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. The peace and joy and strength which God intended for human life, the well-being and health of mind and body is inconsistent with living in a hurry. And here's what I know, that we hear that and we say amen to that and then we do nothing about that except complain. Now why is that such a big deal? Because a heart driven with compassion it's not driven by a schedule. It's not driven by a task list. It's not driven by uh, meetings and appointments. Listen, a heart's driven by compassion. Say, I'm waking up today, and yeah, I've got some things I want to accomplish. I want to be a good steward of my time. But here's the deal. If Jesus puts a Bartimaeus into my path, that is a divine appointment, ministry is life, and I'm going to redirect my schedule so that I can be the hands and feet of Jesus because I know what it's like to be Bartimaeus. I can't help but think about the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. Remember the story there, what it's teaching there. This guy who's beaten, robbed, left for dead, and one of the guys that passes him by is a priest. I mean, come on! Like, if anybody should have stopped, should have been a preacher. Amen. But he doesn't stop. The guy looks like he's probably dead, and for a priest to stop and encounter and lay hold of and and be near a dead body or a corpse would have rendered him ceremonially unclean. And if he would have been ceremonially unclean, then he couldn't do his scheduled ministry and priestly duties, and that caused a back jam. And so what happened? Listen, the guy said, hey, I'd love to stop and help, but I've got a ministry schedule to keep. And so the reality is when we find these encounters and Bartimaeus is by the side of the road, we should respond and be motivated by compassion. Adrian Rogers said this. He said, mercy is sympathy with legs. I like that. Mercy is sympathy with legs. And compassion forces margin into a schedule that previously did not have any margin. Don't forget the context. Jesus is not out on a leisurely stroll. He's not out just wandering around, just taking his time and saying, hey, there's a guy who has some needs and I don't have anything else going on. I'll stop and see if I can help. No, he's literally, he's on a journey to the cross. He's got a set of schedules and appointments to keep because contingent and keeping, fulfilling all those, literally hundreds of years of prophecy are hanging on him keeping this schedule and this agenda. And so no one literally could have been more busy than Jesus was at this point. And so, when we encounter broken, hurting, needy people, there's two ways to respond. We're going to see here in the text. Look at verses 39 through 41 again. Verse 39 says, And those who were in the front, remember, big crowd? Those who were in the front of this crowd, they rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. So when we encounter broken people, Bartimaeus says, in our life, where life should be ministry, you've got two responses. Number one, you can offer correction instead of compassion. Verse 39 says, those who are in the front of this crowd, when he's crying out, rebuked him. Now, that was fascinating to me. And so I started to do a little more study, and I thought, who are these people? I mean, who are the people who are looking at a person who's broken and helpless and hopeless and who's blind? And Jesus, the great healer, is coming by, and they're sh- shushing the dude, right? Who's that? And so one commentator said it was the Pharisees. He said, when they're crying out, son of David, that's a, a term of deity, and they, they denied that Jesus was God in the flesh, and so when he would cry out, son of David, they would try to shush him, uh, because that was blasphemous to them. Here's the problem with that interpretation. Nowhere in this passage do we see the Pharisees being named, that they're there in the front of the crowd. That's an argument from silence, which is a dangerous way to interpret the Bible. So that commentator, I emailed him this week, I said, you're wrong. So who is it? So I dug a little deeper and I don't wanna be dogmatic about this, but based on my study, here's how I think this, I don't think it's the Pharisees, I think this was the followers of Jesus. Let me show you why I think that. Because remember in Luke chapter nine, verse 51, where it says Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, the very next verse, verse 52, listen to what it says. And he sent messengers ahead of him. Luke chapter 10 Verse one says, and after this, the Lord appointed seventy-two others and sent them ahead of Him into every town and place where He Himself uh, was about to go. And so He sent twice. It says He sent people ahead of Him, and wherever, whatever town He was going to go into, they were there ahead of Him. And what does the text tell us? These people were at the front of the crowd. These people had gone on ahead of him. I think this is actually the followers of Jesus and the mistake. Listen, they weren't shushing him for his theology being bad, right? They were saying, like, "Hey, Jesus can't do that, or Jesus isn't son of David." Right? What they were rebuking him for uh, was his request. So here's what we uh, have to conclude: it was either uh, this is not the the time to be needy, or that false teaching in their culture that said, "Hey, if something's wrong with you, either you sin or your parents sin." Now, when we hear that, we think, "How awful is that? Who would do that?" We would. Any time that we look at people without compassion and with condemnation, who are broken and needy, and our self-righteous hearts think this: uh, if you'd just done the things that I would have done in life and made the choices I made, you wouldn't be in the situation you're in. Listen, that's us. That's us. And yes, the choices have consequences, yes, but are there people in a broken, fallen world who, through no fault of their own, will experience injustice because we live in a fallen world? Yes. And we look at them with sometimes with condemnation. So, hey, you, whatever it is you're struggling with, you you made your bed, and, and now it's time just to lie in it. Listen, you know what the gospel message is? That we made our beds with our sin, and Jesus rescued us from it. Praise God. That's the gospel. Someone's breaking in. I don't know what's going on back there. And so you can offer correction instead of compassion. When you see broken people, I'm not saying there doesn't need to be corrective conversations on the back end. The starting point is always compassion on the front end. And so that's option A, correction over compassion, or option B, stop and engage. Jesus knew the serious of the journey that he was on. He's not out meandering. You say, how do I know that? Because in verse 31, here's what he said. We're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man will be accomplished. And so despite literally being on a mission from God, the two most powerful words in this entire passage are found in verse 40 when it says simply this, Jesus stopped. One commentator wrote about those two words. He said it's a simple act. Jesus demonstrated that the greatness that he taught Despite the immediate prospect of his own suffering, he stopped to help a blind man. The crowds uncaringly tried to quiet. When you and I learn to think of others despite our own hurts and concerns, we'll be great indeed. For we will follow the example of our Lord. And at last we understand greatness in the kingdom of Jesus is stopping for the needs of others. You say, what does that look like for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus? It's stopping and engaging the people who are in poverty through no fault of their own. Listen, if you just think, well, hey, you, you're not, the reason you're in poverty is you're not working hard. Then you've never been on a foreign mission trip. Some of the godliest people you ever meet in your life are also some of the poorest people you ever encounter in your whole life. These are the people who are struggling with gender or sexuality issues because of past abuse. These are the people who have mental or physical disabilities and limitations these are the people who have experienced injustice in some way shape or form these are the people uh, who are uh, hopeless and helpless through no fault of their own other than the fact that we live uh, in a fallen world and the reason we stop and extend compassion to them because the day, not because we're not busy not because we don't have stuff to do not because we're going to be irresponsible or flighty it's because here's why we can identify with Bartimaeus and what it's like to be on the side of the road helpless hopeless broken and the only hope you have is Jesus That's it. And so, what drives us in life in our high achieving culture? There should be compassion. To realize that in this broken world, listen, if if the old purpose of Jesus was to, to fellowship with us, he'd have called us home at the point of salvation. Why does he leave us here? To represent him well, to be his hands and feet until he returns. And so we should be driven not by schedules, not by agendas, not by productivity, not by all, the, but by compassion. And Bartimaeus models for everyone how to respond when Jesus is passing by. He makes his request specific. He doesn't say, "Hey, Jesus, you're passing by," and. And man, if you could help me in any way, shape, or form, just like it'd be great. He doesn't say what he says. He says very specifically, uh, uh, "You can restore my sight." So, what does it look like to cry out to Jesus this morning? It's to make a specific request to say, "Lord, I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me." Specific. And the second thing is, he responds in faith. Now, I want everybody to look up here. I don't have time to teach this, even though I know you love when I go long. All right. The level of his faith did not determine the outcome of his healing. That's a dangerous theology. You know what that teaches? That when you pray for someone not to die and they die anyway, it's your fault because you like faith or their fault because they like faith. Listen, God heals and He's able to heal. God still has miracles. Why? Because He's powerful and He's sovereign. And so his level of faith is, you know, I had a lot of faith in someone who healed. No, listen, it's the object of his faith that made him well. Believing that Jesus is who he said he is and that Jesus could do what he had witnessed and heard him do. Bring sight to the blind, healing to the broken, and salvation to the lost. And here's the good news for every Bartimaeus in the room like me. Jesus still brings sight to spiritually blinded people. Praise God. You know something we learn in this passage? The Bible calls us to live differently than the world. And what that means is we have different values. It's not about, not about dress codes and whether we're makeup or not. And you go to this place, you don't go to this place. Listen, most of the time when we think we're living differently for Jesus, uh, like we're, we just end up being weird. Can I get an amen? Like We're just weird, right? You know what living different really means? It means to value things that a godless culture does not value. You know what our culture values? Strength. You know what Jesus is attracted to? Weakness. Weakness. And what happens? When this man encounters Jesus. And he cries out from a weakened place for mercy. Jesus restores his sight, and here's how the story ends. The gospel goes forward. Listen to verse 43. He recovered his sight, he followed him. So, he recovered his sight, he's healed physically, he followed him, he's now healed spiritually, glorified him, and look at the outcome. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. You know what happens when, when Jesus comes near? When Jesus uses us, his hands and feet, and people cry out to Jesus, guess what? Uh, listen, the gospel goes forth. You know why? Because you know what the gospel going forth is? It's just one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. Here's the, here's the cool thing. God lets us join him in that journey to be his hands and his feet until he comes back for his church. And so lesson number one in Jesus' journey to the cross is this. Jesus is attracted to hopeless and helpless people and he does not offer them correction. He offers them compassion. And if we want to be like Jesus in the hands and the feet of Jesus, then guess what? We'll be looking out every day for the Bartimaeuses around us. You know why? Because we're one of them. We're one of them. We know what it's like to be blind and broken and cannot fix it until Jesus passes by. And because we're all Bartimaeuses, here's the good news of the gospel this morning, that if you'll cry out for mercy, then once again, Jesus will stop for you today. Would you bow your head this morning? With your head bowed this morning, I just wanna ask two questions. Number one, has there been a time and a place or a season in your life where you came to the realization that you were sinful and there was nothing you could do to fix it. You were spiritually blinded and you were hopeless and helpless. And when you came to that realization, you cried out for Jesus and asked him to have mercy on you, a sinner. If you've never done that this morning, Or you're not sure if you've done that this morning? Then as much as I can urge you this morning, hear me this morning. Please, please do not let Jesus pass you by this morning. This is a divine appointment. You are Bartimaeus. You are blind and helpless and hopeless. And Jesus is drawing near to you this morning. Cry out to him for mercy and he'll save you. Would you do that if you've never done that today, or you're not sure if you've done that? For those of you who are followers of Jesus, would you pray this very dangerous life-altering prayer? Would you say, Lord, help my life not to be driven by achievement and schedules and tasks. Lord, help my life to be driven by compassion where I view ministry as life. And Lord, every time that I say I don't have time, Lord, help me to remember what it's like to be Bartimaeus. Needy. Broken, blind, hopeless, helpless. And so, Lord, whatever it takes, we have the margin in my life to be the hands and feet of Jesus until he returns. Father, I pray this morning that God, this would produce humility in us and we would repent of any self-righteousness and that we look at broken people with condemning eyes that, God, we would remember that in this story we're not Jesus, we're Bartimaeus. God, if we're not careful, we'll be the people at the front of the crowd telling needy people, the church, that Jesus has no time for them. God, forgive us when we allow that to creep into our lives. And God, may we never get over the fact that when Jesus found us, he stopped. And so, God, even this week, I pray that you put into our lives divine opportunities, and that we, too, would stop. And so, Lord, we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, because we can, and for his glory we pray, amen.